This episode is brought to you by R1RCM, a leading provider of technology-driven solutions that transform the financial performance of hospitals, health systems, and medical groups. R1 delivers proven, scalable operating models that power sustainable improvements to net patient revenue while reducing operating costs. To learn how you can build a future-ready revenue cycle today, visit us at www.r1rcm.com beckers. Welcome to the Beckers Hospital Review podcast. My name is Will Riley from R1RCM. With me in the studio today is Motti Edelstein. Motti is the Vice President of Revenue Cycle at Alina Health. Welcome, Motti. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You bet. Um, to get us started, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, Motti, and uh, your background and Alina. Excellent. Thank you. So um, I joined Alina Health approximately four years ago. Um, Alina Health had secured a, a, a consulting firm, a very big one, to do a revenue cycle assessment. And the assessment resulted in the need to re-engineer revenue cycle and many parts of finance. And so I was brought in as part of that team originally to help with both of those projects. Um, the main focus on the revenue cycle side was how to figure out how to include more technology as we were growing in size, not necessarily constantly adding FTEs because the FTEs was a challenge to find in the Minnesota market. And so... Uh, right off the bat, first thing I noticed was we had multiples of everything. We had a patient access department in the hospital, in the clinics, and in the physician group. We had a billing department in the hospitals, in the clinics, and in the physician billing. And so uh, a lot of looking for best practice around the health system and then figuring out how to consolidate into single business offices, a single infrastructure of patient access, a single infrastructure of um, performance management, et cetera. So really just reorganized and re-engineered how we do revenue cycle at Alina Health. Prior to Alina Health, I worked at uh, a few health systems, um, mostly in the, in the New York metropolitan area, um, where I spent most of my time in physician and hospital revenue cycle. Perfect. Thank you. We're going to discuss today some of the big issues facing uh, finance leaders, health systems, as we go into 2024. Uh, we're going to cover some big areas and some challenging areas. Um, so we'll start with one of the biggest ones, which is payer relationships. Um, that seems like it's an area that's probably always been difficult to some extent, um, but it also feels like an area that's become more difficult and contentious over the last couple of years, probably in this sort of post-pandemic economy that we're in. How are you? How is that playing out at Alina Health right now? So I cheated. Part of my career path included being in either the Department of Managed Care or working on the payer side. And so because I've had that background, I don't approach this as uh, us versus them type of thing like many others do. Um, I've participated in multiple um, uh, Beckers, HFMA, et cetera, types of groups where people seem to like you have to be on one side, either the payer side or the provider side. I think because I've worked on both and worked on projects on both, I find it a little bit easier. Um, and it's more about finding the relationships with the right people and the right information. And so what we've done is, is we've set up a uh, payer relations escalation process where anyone within revenue cycle has the ability to add a challenge or problem, a single account, thousand accounts, doesn't make a difference what it is. 
Um, that then turns into a monthly meeting with payer relations and our payer relations managed care department now has real examples that they can bring to the payers. They do so with people from my performance management team from revenue cycle. Um, and it works. It works. We create relationships with payers. We don't tell them when there's like one claim that was not paid correctly. We don't talk to them when it's like a $5 copay that someone incorrectly received, which sometimes is like the first result is, you know, oh my goodness, the sky is falling. $7 was overbilled. Um, we, we aggregate, we find trends, we raise big issues. And uh, because of that, they're willing to listen to us. Now it's not a hundred percent, doesn't always work, um, but it's a constant relationship building both between revenue cycle and payer relations internally, as well as revenue cycle and the payers themselves. Hmm. That sounds like um, it sounds like a lot of a lot of work. It sounds like I, something that I, I suppose I mean it's going to take time yes. to 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 yield and and get that benefit from right. Is is that true? Absolutely. Tell, tell, it's, tell it's us more about how you built it. So it's a tremendous. It's 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 a long path, right? Yeah. In other words, it's instead of just having people follow up on claims that were denied or claims that weren't paid, we're aggregating problems and trends and raising them. We partner with mm. um, some amazing um, vendors out there that that do some of this work much better than us. Um, for example, CloudMed, for example, um, some of the work that they're doing with us with, uh, with underpayments. It's one thing if you follow up on one claim that was underpaid. It's a whole different story when you follow up on what the reasons were and how to fix that with the payer. And so when you bring that level of information to the payer, they're more willing to work with you as opposed to just complaining about every single claim that wasn't paid correctly. It sounds like data is your friend in this as well. Prioritization, th a thoughtful approach is also important. Is that, is that Absolutely. Um, I think the data is key. Um, when we approach payers, when we're meeting with payers, doesn't make a difference who who they are at the payer level. The the payers are looking for providers that they can partner with to also help fix their challenges. Mm -hmm. If we just come complaining about claims that weren't paid right and we're sometimes the cause for that, that, that doesn't help them on fixing their challenges. And so we come forward with a lot of the information um, and ways for them to fix it. Payers are accountable as well. I mean, payers, you've you've signed a contract, right? You have an agreement. Uh, so how how do you think about payer accountability in this? It, it must be frustrating when all you're trying to do is administer an agreement. Um, I'll answer the politically correct way. Okay. <laughs> the payers don't have to worry about the agreement as much as the providers do, right? The, the payers see the agreement as a mechanism of uh, maybe an infrastructure and some guardrails, while on the provider side, we live in and die by it. Right, We live and die by every word that's in the agreement, and we try to implement what's in the agreement in order for us to be able to understand how to get paid. Because of that, we implement all the front-end processes to make sure we get claims to the payers correctly. At the end of the day, the payers have so much more insight to data and into analytics, um, so much more depth in comparing all the data they receive from all the providers. We, we can never match up to them. And, and one of the more current examples is a lot of payers have been talking about not requiring pre-authorizations for some services or not requiring as much work on the providers up front and paying claims. Wonderful. We've seen that. It's been remarkable. And then six months later, we're getting post-payment reviews and we're getting audited by payers and they're outsourcing a lot of that work to third parties who could care less about the details. 
they're just chasing after the money because they get a contingency on it. Mm -hmm. And that's a tremendous amount more work on us. Let's talk a little bit more about that. Um, we've seen in our data denials on the rise across many of our health system partners. We've seen slowdown in payment rates uh, or payment times, I should say, from commercial payers. Um, how are you seeing that play out? Is it is it playing out in that way with you or is your... Well, so, so here's where we got lucky because we started this program two and a half years ago or so on, on the payer relations side. We've been sharing what we call administrative burden with each of our big payers, mm. which is basically a table of what's causing us the most amount of work. Um, we track it by work. So items that end up in work queues for our coders, our billers, our denial people, our utilization um, management folks who are reworking claims. We show a lot of that work in terms of numbers and dollars and cost mm. to our payers. And so when we do see a spike in denials, we'll find it very quickly and we'll start pushing it back to the payer. Hmm. Um, we're not seeing the delay in payment on the original claim. We'll get paid fairly quickly um, on the original claim, first claim pass through. We have a very high um, clean claim rate. Our challenge is, is a denied claim that then needs to be appealed. We'll appeal the claim and we're seeing payers take three, four or five months to get back to us, which is unheard of. And you talk about contracts before, contractually, they're not allowed to do that, right? We should be able to go to them and say, hey, we have an agreement that says you're going to turn around this stuff within 30 days of receiving our appeal. They could care less. There's nobody to speak to. Nobody cares. Um, they've blamed it on things like we don't have people. We've had a hard time staffing up after COVID. We've had a hard time um, with technology. I mean, they've got all the good excuses because we've, we've been using the same on the provider side. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that's the challenge is that now it's taking them longer, which means the AR is sitting open longer after I've already gotten payment. And it just, it's hard to run the finances of a health system when things have shifted in that manner. Yeah, right. Let me ask you, how are you bringing the physician side of Alina Health along with you on this? Because there must be, we've talked a lot about the administrative aspect of the this relationship with the payers, but what about on the physician side? Because it certainly impacts them as well, right? Absolutely. Um, and, and, and that's always a challenge because when you bring things to your managed care payer contracting department, the last thing they want to hear is the thousand dollar claim or the thousands of hundred dollar claims um, that are impacting you. They're just looking at the big discharges or the big uh, surgical procedures. Um, what we've done is we've created physician advocates within the, the group. So I've got physician leaders at each one of the um, specialties. I've got physician leaders at each one of the hospitals that are, I consider them part of revenue cycle, right? In other words, that they may not report to revenue cycle, but they're part of my monthly meeting of escalations and helping to fix challenges and problems. Um, they do a lot of the work associated to clinical documentation. What inevitably happens is they become the advocates for their own physicians that they work with. And so when physicians are um, dealing with other physicians in the physician practices on getting their documentation timely and getting their documentation done correctly in order for us to bill for the physician services. Um, they're also able to then listen to those physicians and say, okay, we have escalations, we have challenges. Uh, physicians trying to get a patient in for a surgical procedure next week. They've got XYZ insurance. They haven't been able to clear what's going on. What can we do to fix it? 
And so we end up using those physician advocates around the health system really to our benefit, um, but it ends up helping benefit the physicians as well. Got it. Let's talk briefly about the regulatory environment. Um, there's a, like any large not-for-profit health system, you're working in a, in a patchwork of regulations, some local, some federal. Um, how, how do you try and keep up with that? Uh, must be an, an, an ever, ever present challenge. Um, okay. Tough question for a health system that's in Minnesota. So we are probably the most regulated state I, I know of. I've worked in many states in the country uh, when it comes to the work that we do. I think one of the biggest things that we just went through a November 1st implementation of uh, a new bill in Minnesota called the screening bill which basically for, for the general audience means that before a patient can go to a collection agency, any uninsured patient has to have a signed affidavit by a health system employee that at the time of service or shortly thereafter, um, they were reviewed and screened for charity care. That is, that, that is something, by the way, that we do on the hospital side. So every patient that's going to be admitted, that's a planned admission or a planned surgery, that's uninsured. We've been doing that since the no surprise mm. bill law, mm. right? If it's a patient that's not insured and we're not allowed to surprise a bill with them, we make sure they understand what's going to be their responsibility beforehand. We clear them for Medicare, Medicaid. We clear them for charity care. We clear them for social services. We beg them to complete charity care applications through our charity care program. For the most part, anyone that ends up in collections is because they refuse to, to mm -hmm. adhere to the process. Um, so we, we do a really good job at that at the hospitals. At the clinics, I would need, I think they the, at last count, 86 FTEs just to cover the clinic locations. That's not part of the bill, right? No one in Minnesota is expecting us to hire 80 people to do this type of work because we have so many locations. Um, so we're trying to figure out with the help of Epic and with the help of other third-party vendors, how do we do some technology workarounds? Mm -hmm. At the same time, there's cost to all of that. Mm -hmm. And so how do you increase your cost to something that doesn't necessarily bring in any any, any revenue? It brings in value because we have to adhere to the regulatory requirements, but it brings in absolutely no value financially. No. And so many health systems in Minnesota are choosing to do the best we can. And whatever we, we can't, we're just going to write off. Um, and it becomes bad debt. It's not even something that you can write off to any, any you know, it, it's not a charity care write off because you didn't, you didn't, you didn't provide that service beforehand. And now it's just going to become a, a more bad debt, which is more administrative burden, which is more costs um, to providing healthcare in the state. Yeah, that seems um, so. So it seems, I, I guess, how do health systems in Minnesota or elsewhere become proactive how, how do how do you, how do you get to be proactive with the folks who are creating that kind of legislation because it like you said it so obviously adds a deep administrative burden which is cost which, which is not good um do you think there's a way well so so, so similar to the, some of the things i've done in revenue cycle the health system has yeah. done for years we're an active member of the minnesota hospital association um we are uh, an active member of of the, uh, I don't know what it's what the, what the group is called, but there's a regulatory awareness group where whenever something is coming forward in the future, as far as change in regulations, we have a group of people whose sole purpose is to make sure that they know about it. Um, we have both internal and external resources 
to follow up on anything national or local when it comes to regulatory changes. Um, and yet things still, you know, sneak through. Um, we can get for the most part, like a CMS regulation, right? Cause those are notified in advance. We can speak to people in advance. We can talk about the regulation. If a payer changes something, for the most part, those are things where it's a very tight time frame, and we have no stance to argue about it. Right. And so if a payer changes their requirement for a pre-auth for an outpatient service, which is what's happening, we've moved a lot of services from an inpatient only to an outpatient as well. Mm -hmm. We're doing uh, hips and knees now, total hips and knees in an outpatient setting, mm -hmm. right? Um, those, are, those are things that payers are now starting to figure out how to create more requirements. Um, and so as that happens, the Medicare managed care companies also follow suit because it's not necessarily a Medicare thing, but it's because the commercial payers are trying to pick up on what's needed in order to make sure that the setting is correct and that the payment is due. Um, that pre-off process or the pre-service process with these payers is is scrutinized and there's a million steps. And so those regulatory changes, I think, is, are just very challenging. Um, we try our best to stay one step ahead by just having groups of people look out for the information, as well as be advocates with uh, hospital associations, both local and the American Hospital Association. Um, I think the challenge there is, is a lot of these associations have not been able to accomplish much other than to hear a lot of people complain. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it's good to complain with others, um, but it'll be nice if somebody can actually create um, some of these changes Change. and some of these rethinking of some of these bills that are being passed. Let's end by talking briefly about the patient themselves, uh, the, the patient consumer. We use that word a lot now in healthcare. Um, clearly, patient expectations have changed over the last 10 years, whether that's because of technology adoption in our everyday lives or societal changes as well. Can you tell us a little bit about how some of those dynamics have played out at Alina Health? Absolutely. Um, we have a very high adoption rate of my chart through Epic. We have a lot of patients that are basically doing a lot of the work themselves, self-scheduling, self-paying their bills, self-looking at their charts and at their post-visit um, follow-up and things of that nature. Um, in that modality, our patients aren't interested in, in, in you know, receiving their healthcare or receiving their bills the way that they used to. Um, so we've been we've been creative. We partnered with a company called Cedar, and we mentioned early, you know, part of being a good revenue cycle shop is not doing it yourself and seeing where you've got um, uh, the ability to, to find partners to do it better. So a few years ago, we partnered with somebody called Cedar for a very simple reason: they're able to send texts, and we weren't. Um, I know Epic now is trying to find ways to improve their technology-driven, patient-facing communication. Um, I, I, we just tr we're going to try to be that health system that gets the patients the way the patient wants, find the patient where they are type of thing. Mm -hmm. So between telehealth and uh, using the technology to communicate with patients, finding that that's a, a key a key area, um, and it's and it's ever changing, and that's one place where I don't think we're ever one step ahead. Um, we're trying to sort of figure out what happens around us and then play catch up. Um, for the most part, using apps has been ha happening for everyone forever. Healthcare is always about 10, 15 years behind, some maybe 20 years. Um, I fly regularly on Delta. I self-check in. I never speak to a Delta agent pretty much ever, right? I speak to TSA. 
But other than that, I'm, I'm doing everything myself on my iPhone. Um, patients, many patients expect that, um, but many patients don't. They want that with the touch of the human being. And so we have to provide both, yeah. which is not easy because we're still trying to figure it out. Yeah. But our goal is to get there. Our goal is to get there, is meet the patient where they want. If it's a patient that wants to be fully automated, great. If it's, if it's a patient that wants fully you know, uh, autonomous plus a little bit of uh, interaction with maybe their physician or a nurse or even one of our billers or customer service reps, no problem, we'll do that. If they want to send text messages, we'll do it via text. If they want to talk on the phone, we'll do it on the phone. If they want to do it in person, we'll do it in person. So we will, we will do the, the best channels. to find the patient wherever they are. Perfect. On that, on that note, let's end. Motti, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you for having me. This is great. You.